when film criticism is as provocative as ever, Feelin' Film ventures to change the discussion from what we hate about a film to what we love about it. We judge more on emotional experience than technical merit, because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome, listeners, to the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Aaron, and with me today for this special mini-sode is Emmanuel Noiset of Eman's Movie Reviews. Hello, fine people. Hey, man, I am so glad that you were able to come on with me to talk about this film. We are going to be discussing Darren Aronofsky's controversial, to say the least, new movie, Mother. And before we get started, I want to just lay out a couple of disclaimers or you know expectations for for you listeners this minisode is going to be a little bit different than anything you might have heard on feel and film before most of our shows we really like to hone in on themes and pull those out we talk about things that we expect all of our listeners to be able to relate to mother doesn't quite work like that it's also an incredibly experiential type of film in that narratively the story doesn't matter too much so we are going to spoil the heck out of it however both Eman and I agree that that probably doesn't really mean much if you still want you can still see the film and you might actually have a better experience with it the first time if you listen to us first in this case it's, it's very very rare to say that but this is one of those times so please don't be afraid to listen to this podcast Unless you are the kind of person who likes to be really, really, really shocked <laughs> and I just, you know, exercise caution and, and do what you will. But we're going to talk about it in full. We're going to go into detail and we are just going to kind of have a little bit of a conversation here. We're going to let it take us where it goes. We'll probably give some interpretations and try to figure things out and hopefully in doing so it'll be a little bit therapeutic for us because here it is a couple weeks later. I think it is since we've seen it, E-Man and we're both still thinking about it. Uh, and, and with that, I'm just going to kick it to you and ask you this. What give us, let's start with a little bit of an, of a, of a background of how did you end up seeing mother? Why did you see mother? And what was your kind of reaction coming out of it that first time? So, <laughs> The funny thing is, and hopefully I'm not throwing any uh, anyone under the bus, it was very difficult to acquire a seat to go see Mother for us because it was incredibly packed, I guess. And, and this was a private screening. Oh, the irony. For, just for the, <laughs> for the critics, the critics of Chicago, we had a private screening and that was difficult to get into. So... By the hair of my chinny chin chin, I was able to get in. So I was very fortunate to uh, get a selective seat. But I knew that given the director's history, um, because I was a fan of Black Swan, that's when I got introduced uh, to Aronofsky. So I I haven't watched um, Requiem for a Dream or any of the previous or The Fountain. Um, I kind of plan on it later, but uh, the Black Swan got me into it. Um, because of Black Swan, I was really intrigued uh, to watch Noah. Noah really disappointed me. Um, and then, you know, just because of the, the the director's technical prowess, I wanted to watch Mother. Especially given the fact that the, the trailers gave you nothing. The trailers were just kind of like, hey, he's a couple and some people keep showing up and we don't know why you know so it was just kind of like that i don't know got my film critic spidey senses tingling like something is going to happen there's something interesting about this movie um and that that's what got me in there you know and boy oh boy i i i, I wasn't ready <laughs> well I, you back <laughs> a little background you're a horror guy right so you like I am horror, a horror movies. Guy, yeah did you I expect this to be a horror movie you know what? I didn't know. Okay, so uh, given some of the trailer and everything, I thought that we were going to have some Rosemary's Baby, you know, type of stuff or, so, you know, something with some cultish, demonic, whatever. Um, only because I do understand that, you know, the director 
he's not really a big fan of religion. So um, I, <laughs> it's a nice way to put it. Yeah, it's a very nice way. Um, so I understood that it wouldn't surprise me if he were to take something and not to say make a mockery of religion and and show us the twisted version of it but just do something along those lines so i was going into mother thinking i was going to see a psychological maybe supernatural horror thriller mm-hmm. and it kind of was that maybe <laughs> so hard to categorize what this what this was um but yeah the horror aspect definitely got me cuz i was kind of like mm, what kind of demonic stuff were we about to get into here so that's that's what I thought. What about you? Well, I actually uh, I, I did not go to my my press screening of this one. And I, I regretted it after after seeing it. I did regret it. Everybody came out of it talking about it. And, you know, I I am not a huge Aronofsky fan either. And largely because of the reason you just stated, um, he tends to explore his views of religion in a way that I do not agree with in certain films. And, and it's, it's a little difficult sometimes to view his movies objectively without taking it personal offense to some things. Um, but over the years, I've slowly started to try and become more responsive to what he's doing and, and looking at it through a different lens and trying to see, okay, this is a portrait of what this man's worldview is like. And for that aspect, it's very interesting to me. And it, I don't have to take any kind of personal offense to it. So uh, like you, I was kind of lukewarm on Noah at best. There was there were some things in it that I do like. Uh, cinematically, Aronofsky's got a, a pretty great touch, I think, um, with some of the things he can do. Black Swan I loved. Requiem for a Dream. It's in that zone of amazing film that I'll never watch again. Um, and... The Fountain is actually pretty incredible as well. I think you'll actually pretty much dig that one. You'll it's it's not nearly as wackadoo as some of the others. But I, I thought, okay, everybody's talking about this film. Everybody hates it. <laughs> like almost almost collectively as a whole, everybody hated this movie, which told me, okay, I've got to go see it. So I ended up going to a late night screening on Thursday on opening night. I was by myself in the theater at 10 o'clock and I thought this is going to be terrible. Like this is not good. I'm going to be, I thought it was going to be a horror movie movie started. And I recall very vividly about halfway through thinking to myself, when am I going to start hating this movie? Because I had it ingrained in my head that I was supposed to hate this movie. It was going to be terrible and crazy and I, fa- I kind of enjoyed it, you know, the first half, first two-thirds of it. Then we go nutso, and everything starts getting crazy, the third act, and kind of all the different alleg- – one, one big primary allegory starts turning into multiple at once, and you start to lose your path a little bit, and it just becomes schizophrenic and, and chaotic. And in that moment, I was just – flabbergasted I didn't know what to think I didn't know how to handle it I didn't know I couldn't I couldn't track anymore I lost track and so up until then I had actually um, we'll talk about it but I had picked out my own little story narrative of what was happening and what the point was and I was following that along just perfectly and then we got to a point where my my story didn't work anymore and I kind <laughs> of got lost so I came out of the movie exhausted from the experience and immediately needing to talk about it to someone. And it was awful because it was almost midnight my time. Our friend, Don Shanahan, God bless him. He was up late writing reviews at 2 o'clock in the morning, you guys' time. And he was awake and we talked. We, we got to talk through some of the stuff. And I think that was great for me because if I had to hold that all in on my own and go to bed on it, oh, I don't know that I could have gone to sleep. It's not a good experience. Not out of fear, but out of like my mind was just oh, yeah. turning. And so – After seeing it, I started trying to express to friends and family, should they see it, right? People were asking me about it. Everybody online wanted to know my thoughts. And I found it very difficult to review this movie. And I know you you had a similar experience with your your reviews. You you don't know what to say. Yeah, you know, I mean, as you know, like, my reviews are 
spoiler free. So <laughs> it's kind of like, how do you talk around something that talks around itself? Yeah. You know, and it, it was incredibly difficult. And like I was telling you earlier, um, what makes this movie so difficult is because it, it feels like when, when you have a dream and you experience every aspect of that dream, you hear everything, you see everything, you feel, you know, the emotions and all that. And then you wake up and then you have to tell someone about that dream. This movie was Aronofsky's dream on the screen. But if you've ever had to tell someone your dream, bits and pieces don't really make sense. And you, the people are looking at you like, wait, what? How? Huh? And you're like, no, no, no. This is the this is the part. No, this is <laughs> this. And, you know, and then everyone's like, no, I don't know what the hell you're talking about here. Like, skip, skip, skip. Crazy. Super climax. Skip, skip, super climax. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Chaos. You know. So it, it's it's exactly what this movie is, and and there is some truth to this too, by the way. Um, so I don't know if we want to get into that later, but yeah, I mean, what we saw on the screen was a combination of so many different things, and and this is why I tell people like this movie is so multi layered that when you try and go on the internet and you try and you know look at fan theories or like you know what was this about or whatever they're all right yeah every single one of them are right because he put an aspect of every certain theme or whatever into this movie and they're literally compounded on one another so if you think it's about one thing it probably is you know now it might be only 30 to 40 percent of the movie yes but it doesn't make it wrong. It just means that, okay, that's just one side of it, you know? So it's, it's a multi-faced movie. Um, and that's why I think people like to talk about it because depending on what you go in with and what you, what lens you're looking at this movie with, uh, through, um, it's going to, it's going to attract you one way or another, even if you disagree with it, yeah, it'll still get your attention. Yeah, and that's and that's what it did for me is I, I felt very strongly about it and was telling people don't go see this, you're not gonna like it. I like it because I see the art in it, but I don't know how I feel about it past that, especially from a religious aspect. And four days later, I could not shake it. I mean, almost more than any film in recent history, I could not let go of this, and so I went and saw it again, again, second viewing. Also entirely by myself, I will add. So this movie's not doing so well at the box office. Um, Cinema score of F tells you everything that you need to know. I think what is it? Nineteen films in the history of movies have have gotten an F. Not any surprise at all that this was one of them. But what Mother ended up being for me was the first film that I have ever seen in my entire life that I truly felt the desire to break down on an individual scene by scene level. I would love to sit with a group of people and just watch one line of dialogue, pause, and talk about it for 15, 20 minutes. You Start, can totally do that. Go for another minute, pause, talk about it for 15, 20 minutes. It is that layered, as you mentioned, and, and there are so many different things you can pull out of it. And what I think is part of the brilliance of Aronofsky's managed chaos is that he doesn't even – he can't possibly know – all of the interpretations that people can bring out of it. But he knows that there are enough little, little pieces, like you said, 30%, 40%. There's, there's elements. There's a symbol here, a symbol there that somebody out there can take and latch onto. And then it can mold their own personal experience with this film. And Holy cow, man, if that's not like art art and, and what filmmaking can be in on a, on that, you know, higher kind of unique, level then i don't know what is and it's in that regard it's almost i hate to use the word masterpiece but i mean it, it is a masterpiece of i can't do that okay it is a not for this not it for is, this one well, not for you i i think for me the way that this film is put together and pieced together it is incredibly special and incredibly I say, unique i will say that it's definitely unique it's definitely original um, I said that this is Picasso if he became a filmmaker, but I don't Love want that. to give the impression 
that I think that it's a masterpiece. I just think that this is art in its purest form. Th- that's really what I think I'm trying to get at. Is and is that's that. fine. Yeah, no, that's that's totally fine because in my review, like when I when I graded it, you know, I grade on a scale from one to ten. I gave it an eight out of ten, and it kind of caught some people off guard. And I was like, but you have to listen to my reasoning. This movie is technically sound, but because of its originality, this is something that fellow film critics, people in the film industry, people that watch hundreds of movies every year, you know, the same routine (laughs) things. When we finally get a change of pace, it's going to resonate with us and we'll appreciate it for what it is. But for the general public, don't go watch this movie. Because it's just too many things that I don't want to say will go over your head, but they're not necessarily going to resonate with the average person because you're not used to a lot of the things and elements that he introduces. Now, um, I don't know if you had done this, but, you know, I don't want to say I was obsessed, but I was compelled to do more research on this movie. Oh, nonstop. I've read everything I can consume. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) when I walked out of the movie the first time, I told, you know, my fellow critics, I'm like, the problem with this movie is that you'll never really understand what happened unless Aronofsky was sitting right next to you dictating, mm-hmm. you know, or commentating. And so that led me to do some research. Then one thing I did was I went through the production notes. Um, I don't know if you got that as well. We did the, are you talking about like the poem? No. Well, besides the poem. Okay. Yeah. Like, we did get, we did get some information on the backstory, okay, like background. The, the, the production notes were like, 20, 30 pages long or something. It was crazy. But one of the, I, I just started noticing like a lot of the things in the process of how this movie was made explained a lot of the themes um, within the film itself. Then uh, he also did a Q&A not too long ago, answering a lot of the questions about what these things were about and themes and so on. So if you don't mind, we could probably start going through some of the themes and maybe this will actually help some of the viewers or listeners um, in understanding what they're seeing. So one of the things that uh, one of the theories I had when I was trying to piece together, what am I watching here? Because the whole time I'm thinking like, wait, okay, is he God? Uh, is she like mankind, women kind? What what's going on here? Because the one thing that you know, obviously there were some biblical elements in this movie, right? So I guess that's probably the most, um, that's the biggest theme that's been used because that's what he, that was the foundation that he said he used. He said, um, based off of his extensive air quotes, uh, research, uh, for Noah, um, he wanted to use a biblical framework for mother. So if you go and look at the IMDB and look at the cast list, you'll notice that no one has an actual name and everyone is listed as, uh, they have like a title. So Javier Bardem is him, capital H I M. So he's God in in his movie. Uh, uh, mother, is, which is Jennifer Lawrence, is actually Mother Earth. So that's one thing. Um, Ed Harris, he's his man. character, man, he's Adam. <laughs> then woman, Michelle Pfeiffer, she's Eve. Then the eldest brother, then the younger brother, Cain and Abel. And then it keeps going down the list that way, right? Um, as you go through the cast list, which each cast uh, member was specifically named so you know you can draw your own interpretations once you see that because you'll see a drunkard you know uh, um, uh, a thief you know you'll see all these sinful type of names or, or titles given to people and if you go back in the film and watch it you'll actually notice like oh that's the person that you know like that random guy that hit on jennifer lawrence's character i think he was literally called like the adulterer or something you know or the lecturer you know being lecherous um so you know you can you can see how some of the biblical themes are carried out and he really tries to go from the genesis story all the way to the new testament and uh revelation you know, um, gosh, I, I feel like there's so much to unpack with that. But <laughs> I'm still trying to stay on the surface with all this for now before we get nitty gritty. 
The other component that I noticed in the production notes was Aronofsky, and I don't think he's ever admitted to this, but if you watch the movie and listen to his commentary, it's kind of revealing. He's written himself into this movie. Oh, yeah. Because, and in the ironic sense, as an atheist, he wrote himself as God. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. You know, because that moment where Jennifer Lawrence is pregnant and he wakes up and, you know, he's naked and he runs and goes right and everything. He literally explained how he had that same moment for this movie. Mm-hmm. He was talking about how he was asleep. He had this crazy dream, which was probably all of mother and in a fit of rage because he was so upset about how we treat mother earth and how you know she loves us so much and provides for us she's submissive to us but yet we just take and take and we're not grateful just like javier and etc um we burn her down and then you know she comes right back and he woke up in this fit of rage locked himself in a room for like five days and wrote this movie that was his (laughs) process and i'm sitting here like if you did not just project yourself into this movie, I don't know what just I don't know, you know what I just saw then, you know. So I just thought that was a little bit ironic for him to kind of do that. Um, so I don't know. What do you think? I'll, I'll pass the mic there to you. <laughs> well, I think that the the spiritual themes are obviously on the nose, and yeah. they're they're point blank. And my first viewing, it took me a while. I actually didn't know about it going into it. So that first half of the film. My number one theme that I came away with at the time was actually one of a husband and a wife representing a modern marriage and the way in which marriage can fall apart and lead to the massive divorce rate in this country. How relationships do not stay firm because of things like neglect, um, lack of intimacy, the letting others into the relationship, letting others dictate the decisions that you make for your spouse, put, you know, choosing what they will do or do not do. And I just saw example after example, after example that were slowly eroding their relationship to the point where it was going to explode. And so I actually was watching the movie through that. It lends the whole first half of it that I didn't even I didn't even catch most of the Christian allegory until until we got into baby time. And then it was like, oh, now now it's starting to like really come around for me. And I started to piece it together in, in hindsight. So the second time I watched it, I watched with the the allegory of, of the Bible in my mind and I paid very close attention, catching everything I possibly could. Little little details like a very quick brief scene where um, Javier Bardem is, is with Ed Harris in the bathroom because he's sick and we think it's cause he's drunk and smoking, drank and smoked too much. Right. And Eve, his wife comes in and, or no, Jennifer Lawrence comes in, I think. And um, he says, go away. And you just get a real quick scene of Javier Bardem cover up the side of Ed Harris there. There's like a hole there and blood. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously, because Eve has just entered the picture, and that's the rib being taken out of Adam. Um, The crystal, clearly, the forbidden fruit, the one thing that you're not supposed to touch, the one thing that you do that you you break down um, what God's one rule was, and you send everything into chaos, um, ultimately leading to your expulsion from paradise, which is exactly what happens. Uh, Even when we see... After that, we see Adam and Eve, and it's hard not to refer to them that way. We see man and and wife, Ed Harris and Michelle Pfeiffer. We accidentally come upon them, and they're they're having sex. And Michelle Pfeiffer comes to the door, and she has this leafy green bra on, which very clearly represents fig leaves uh, covering herself, right? They're not naked when they're having sex. They're covered, which is very biblical and exactly what happened. And so you start... You start picking up on all these things, and and then by the way, that's when the kids come. And then the kids come. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Is this? And it was just one thing after another. Even 
for me, when the awful moment with the baby happens, you call me insensitive, I guess, but I, I did not react in the horrific manner that I think a lot of people did because I kind of read it what was happening right away. If I did not see and, and, and connect the dots of a baby being sacrificed and then the baby oh, being eaten, communion. being communion, yeah. um, and the sacraments, then I would have thought this is exploited, exploitative and, sure. and disgusting. But well, because I knew what he was getting at, I was like, my gosh, that is a incredibly visceral way to look at it. And I get it from an outsider's perspective. So now this is where I knock Aronofsky because I have no problem with you doing certain illusions or uh, allegorical imagery. I got no problem with that. Um, But I feel as though it was exploitive and I do think it was unnecessary to one, show the baby dying and two, uh, actually show people eating the baby um, because for one you can't tell me someone as creative as him couldn't come up with another way to imply it right we didn't need to see it and the reason why I say that is because you wanted to go with so much shock value mm-hmm. that you ran the risk and I think poorly you ran the risk of losing your audience and that's where I can see people walking out that's where I could see people turning off and turning away and not fully appreciating what you're trying to do and it's just one of those things where like you know I guess it's you know you can use the artistic license you know excuse if you want to but to me Part of, if I were a filmmaker, or if I'm an artist, I'm putting my heart and soul and blood and tears into this work, not just for myself. I'm doing it because human beings are relational to share with the world. Whether they like it or not, I want them to share in it. Mm -hmm. And if you do something that is so visceral that it turns people away, it completely defeats the purpose of you, of your work. Because if I never see your work because you went too far with it, who's left to appreciate it? You know, which is why I see, I understand why they got that, you know, low score or whatever. But I feel bad because it's kind of like, ugh, if only you didn't have to go that far visually. I'm not saying not to do the concept. You can mm-hmm. do the concept. But you didn't have to go that far visually because there are just certain things people don't want to see. It's almost like if someone were to, you know, and God forbid, but like, it's almost like if someone were to actually depict a child being raped on screen, right? We don't need to see that. Right. We know how horrific it is within our minds. That's not even something I want to think about. No, let alone see it because visuals and what we think about are two different things, you know? So, you know, if he were to do something like that, it's like, dude, like you went too far. Like you, th- I can't just allow you to use artistic license to. You've abused it at this point. So, you know, it's just like with a comedian. Comedians, when they are telling jokes, we give them a little bit of leeway. But if they go a little too far, Michael Richards, no, it's not funny anymore. You know, <laughs> and I think he crossed the line. So that with that part with the whole baby thing to me anyway that scene looked like the perfect visual depiction of what an atheist that, views christianity so that's that's my reading of it as well and and sure. that and that was what i kind of found fascinating and i guess to be completely honest heartbreaking <laughs> but mm-hmm. it is that this is how he views christianity and i think to a large extent maybe catholicism specifically um, there's oh, a lot sure. of there's a lot of usage of the sacraments in general. There's there's the the ash on someone's forehead at one point, and these things all kind of devolve into this situation. I think it can easily be looked at as 
him trying to convey that Christian religious practices in general, and maybe not just Christians, but religious traditions and mm-hmm. strict up, you know, dedication to these these uh, rituals is what has led to ultimately all of this pain and death and suffering and wars in history. And there's some truth to that. There really, there really is. I mean, look at the crusades right now. I don't think is, that is it. Yeah. I think there is some truth is to it? that. I think there's some truth to that. I think that, I don't know. I think that I if know. we look at extremism when it comes to religion, mm-hmm. it can absolutely be something that leads to a violent nature. Unfortunately, I don't, I don't Now, I, I don't think it's widespread. I don't think it's, it's the level that Aronofsky is, is proposing. Well, I think, I think it's a misconception. Just, I think it's a wide misconception in general. And this is just me putting on my seminary hat now, mm-hmm. uh, as a grad student. Um, you know, there's, there's a book out there. It's called the encyclopedia of war. You can go pick up this book anywhere. It's not a Christian book or anything like that. It's the encyclopedia of war. And it literally documents the causes of a lot of the world's major wars. Interesting. And religion is one of the lowest causes. Oh, wow. The largest cause for war is land. Well, that people makes sense. People fight yeah. for land. Right. Now, Limited resources. Use, right. It, it, that, but that's the thing. It's land. It's money. You know, <laughs> women. <laughs> you know, whatever. Um, Helen of Troy. But religion is not the primary cause of war now it not to say that it hasn't caused some wars but most of the time even the crusades it was about whose holy land belongs to who so it's kind of like it's a misconception i think i Um, yeah i see i guess i i guess i look at that more as you know like the reason you want the land is at least covered in the idea of I want it for my religious reasons. I mean, it's not that. Here's the thing. It's got to be land more so than anything because you've never heard someone say, well, maybe not never, but you rarely hear someone say, we're going to war because my religion's right and your religion's wrong. Usually it's because that land is ours or that resource is ours. We want it. Mm-hmm. Or that's usually the underlying motive. But anyway, check out the encyclopedia, you know. No, that's fast. That's that's absolutely fascinating stuff. I think it's it's definitely yeah. something I want to look into. So, I mean, oh, I'm sure somebody I'm out there listening is probably nodding their head like I am going, "Hey, that sounds really cool." Encyclopedia of War. It's check it out. It is I know it's a shocking fact because I didn't know it myself until I actually read it and I was like, "Oh, well, that makes sense." Hmm, yeah. But anyway, I can't blame uh, someone like Aronofsky or whatever to um, to believe that. Right. I'm I'm a little more disappointed in the fact that, especially, and that's why I said air quotes, extensive research with his biblical research, because I've always told people that anyone can read the Bible. That doesn't mean that you understand <laughs> the context. Doesn't mean you understand like the linguistic, uh, you know, differences and stuff. Mm-hmm. The literary styles. Like, there's a reason why we have an equivalent to the scientific method called hermeneutics, and he does a lot of poor theology in his uh, adaptations. I mean, oh yeah, Noah was. Not good. I mean, no. He he even admitted Mo, Noah's the least biblical movie right ever. Right? In fact, he set out to do that. He yeah, set out yeah. to intentionally make that movie that way. Right. Which to me, I was kind of like, mm, I feel like you're just hijacking the whole common theme just to get attention. I didn't really like that. I wish he would have just called it something else, so that way you know people could just be like, oh, okay, this is a different interpretation. But my, you know, when you look at Javier Bardem's character in the movie, um, when when she's like, when Mother is like, why are you letting these people here? What are you doing? And he's like, I want them here. You know, I need them. You know, kind of like giving that impression that God needs praise. Yeah, that when, that bothered me. That's yeah, I mean, yeah, me too, because I'm like, that's not. It's a that, it's a, to me, it's no, a misunderstanding of of a Christian teaching, and, and specifically in Calvinism. Um, or reform theology, we believe that God, we exist for God's glory. 
like mm. number one. And I think that is a gross misunderstanding of what that means. <laughs> right, right. To think that we exist, we simply exist to worship and right. to praise him because he needs it. And that's, right. that's not the way that it works. No, it's not. There's a difference between God needing praise and God being worthy of praise. Correct. And that's, that's the part that I think gets lost from a secular perspective of religion. And that's the part that kind of bothers me because, again, I don't have a problem with him trying to use biblical themes to try to tell a different story. Um, I do have a problem when it's so grossly misinformed that it almost completely mischaracterizes, you know, whatever religion that you're saying. Because let's be honest, nowhere in there was he ever going to highlight any of the charitable stuff, you know, right. any of the, the loving things, the conversion aspects, the people that turn their lives around. Like, that never gets highlighted, you and, know. So, and I will say that this has come up in uh, in Christian film circles quite often the last couple of years, and and we we feel the same way. I'm, I'm going to speak for you, but I know I do. I'm guessing you will as well. Feel the same way in reverse. So, in a movie like God's Not Dead, there is mm. some pretty awful stereotypical depiction of atheism Absolutely. in that movie, and it's yeah. the same same concept. It's Christians yeah. who misunderstand why an atheist feels the way they do and what their worldview is. And they stereotype them Mm -hmm. and paint them in this (laughs) ridiculous manner. And so we're not a fan of that either. So, you know, fair is fair. Very, very true. Very true. All I can say is I I do agree a hundred percent. And that is why I have struggled so hard with my rating of this. And Mm -hmm. because, you know, when I put a stamp on it, when I say this is a five star movie to me, when, when this shows up in my top five of the year and it's probably gonna, I, I have a responsibility as a critic and as, as someone who people look to for an opinion to explain myself. And Mm -hmm. it's really tough. Um, because Mm -hmm. my first thing is to tell people, you've got to be discerning you. Mm -hmm. This is like watching game of Thrones season one, Mm -hmm. right? If you're, if you're not good with sexual content, if that's a stumbling block for you as a, as human being, you probably shouldn't watch season one of game of Thrones. You know, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like there, there are things that you may need to steer away from. Maybe you're prone to violence. Maybe you don't need to be watching, you know, crazy violent movies. Um, if you're prone to having bouts of extreme psychological distress, you probably don't need to watch psychological horror things, things like that. And right. mother is an example of that. And if you can't, Absolutely. if you can't kind of separate and read this from Aronofsky's potential point of view and detach a little bit. Yeah, it could, it can derail and you and I are able to do that, but mm-hmm. definitely not everyone is. Yeah. Yeah. And then that's why I said this is not for the general audience. Like, I, I want to give another reading of that that part of the movie. Um, mm-hmm. And I did not ever come up with this thing, but I, I'm going to read it off Facebook for a second because um, a, a friend of mine named Jason, his cousin named Matt, and that's as much credit as I'm going to go with for this. Um, he says he thinks that Mother could simply be about a writer who writes a story and releases it just to watch the chaos it causes. So Mother could easily be about Aronofsky creating a provocative film post-Noah just because we're going to automatically assume it's all biblical allegory, and then he releases it and kind of revels in that chaos. If you look at the age difference between he and Lawrence, it's just about the same difference, or Bardem and Jennifer Lawrence as actors, it's about the same age difference as between Aronofsky and Jennifer Lawrence, who are now dating the baby that they make together. Isn't Jesus. It's this movie. It's a film that people are now tearing to shreds and devouring. And I think he might be onto something from a creative the, process. Yeah. Aspect. The, the author theory was something that that's, that's the theory that I walked away with. Now I didn't put all that other, you know, him and Jennifer Lawrence and all that stuff together. Um, I thought of this more of, uh, from an author's perspective, like this entire thing was not a film writer or a filmmaker, but I thought that the best way to explain the cyclical process was an author creating a story. And the reason why I didn't want to just say, oh, this is just time repeating itself, and why I thought it was the author is because, you know, 
with Javier obviously being the poet and receiving praise after he wrote something. Um, it, it wasn't until the fire happens. And I think what happens is that's, if you think of it as a writer literally having writer's block, and then he finally gets inspired, he finally gets some attention from that inspiration and that product that he uh, creates. And then let's just say he's writing something else. Maybe the story doesn't go to the point that he needs it to go to, or it just burns up because uh, right when I get to the end, chaos ensues. And I just inve- I just envisioned the entire burning process as a writer just taking a piece of paper, crumbling it up, tossing it out, and then starting all over again. Hence why we see a different character instead of Jennifer Lawrence, you know, with like little variations. Because I didn't really understand how to explain that ending part. Well, yeah, exactly. And I and I think you mentioned this earlier. I mean, that's that's the thing. And if if I was going to knock this film for any one thing the most personally it would be that there isn't one singular allegory that i can take from point a to point b all the way through it i do love the imagery though of a very similar looking rachel wise uh in the opening shot of the girl that is burning down and this is this is him's previous wife and he was with rachel vice he had a baby with her and he started over. He got inspired when he was working on this movie and started dating Jennifer Lawrence. And there's, there's so much you could read into this. And I think he's just egotistical enough and he is just, some would say pretentious enough, but he is self-aware of his own misgivings and his own traits and leanings toward needing of praise that he would literally write something like this about himself. I I don't doubt that he did, and whether he did that intentionally, I can't say, but I'm more than positive it was unintentional. I mean, I forgot who said it. Maybe it was even him, but it was something... Someone had said that authors can't help but to write themselves into stories, you know, and I think... Actually, I think this had to do with Stephen King and his books. Um, you, you, you It's just... it's. It's just something that an author does. Like, if there's a certain quality or trait about themselves, they'll put a piece of themselves maybe in different characters, maybe just in one character. Um, And I could not deny the fact that Aronofsky put himself in Javier Bardem's character, who just so happened to be God. And I thought it was a little bit of religious irony or theological irony in that just because you know for you know scripture kind of alludes to when you reject god essentially you try to become god you Mm -hmm. know and it seems like the case and if you think about it an author or creator mimics god absolutely you know so all these different parallels were there and and you know kind of like what you touched on earlier with the relationships and stuff like that's that's an element that's in there too. I mean, he talked about misogyny and in in the lack of feminism, or as an attack to feminism, and um, you know, just being oppressive to women, being oppressive to Mother Earth from an environmental perspective. All of those things are true. All of those things are encompassed in this movie. So it's hard to be wrong, <laughs> you know, with whatever you take from it. It is, and it's. It's so neat to hear people come out of it and find out what they are thinking for the first time. It's it's been one of my my favorite things of this favorite pastimes of this year, just in the last couple of weeks of watching Facebook and social media feeds on Twitter and such, and, and and even in just in person at work. You know, someone coming in each day and saying, "Hey, I went and saw Mother," and it's like, "I'm boom, I you got my full attention. Like, tell me what you thought." Um, and I've heard some crazy stuff like that. I never would have got out of it, you know, and, and I've even, I've even met people who really thought the film was pretty straightforward and I thought they were nuts uh, because I mean, I didn't know how they exp- explained Kristen Wiig assassinating people in the head, but, uh, you know, it happens. And it, it, speaking of that, mm-hmm. so that sequence, mm-hmm. we talked briefly about this, the earlier 
earlier in the podcast and we talked about technical technical qualities of the film so did you like the way in which we how did you feel about that chaos because the movie is so slow or so there's no score right nope it is and i like that i, I like loved that. it i mean and in the yeah. theater viewing well, i'm so glad i saw this in a it was theater creepy because it's in the back of my head i hear knocking and i'm like i was i kept looking behind me yeah, i'm not kidding me you too. i thought i was like is somebody coming in the theater there's somebody's a door opening and i'm looking behind my shoulder yeah and heavy breathing the focus on jennifer lawrence face it's so claustrophobic mm-hmm. and then the war stuff happens when we start running through different cycles of of battle and it, it is just insane did so, it did it work for you or did you yeah, enjoy well, it well you know once i started because i didn't i it didn't click for me that we were mimicking biblical concepts until that third act as well like when i first saw it i was like oh okay we're we're dealing with revelation now and that's what i thought that was like all the house guests were humanity right and since we're staying consistent with the biblical narratives and stuff, um, I saw that as, you know, uh, different religious groups were going to start to, you know, join up. There were going to be different nations amongst nations fighting against one another, you know, and that was kind of like caught up in the whole thing. And, you know, if you kind of backtrack, recall that when the first house, when the house was first invaded by people after the funeral ceremony, um, and they started getting on the sink and started over flooding. That was the great flood. The sink's then not every- braced yet. Right. <laughs> and then after the flood, you know, everybody was gone. Nobody was there yet. Oh, yeah, we everybody started over. Started, started over. But it wasn't until everybody came back into the house that if you look at it, remember, God said, mm, not going to destroy the world with water again. Well, nope. this time it's going to be fire. You know, <laughs> so like it kind of, I, 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 I got traces of Dante's Inferno you know because she was going from room to room and it seemed like a a party over here or wait no cults over there no is this a sex orgy over there like chaos it was crazy and it felt like all the different layers of hell but it also felt like uh, the apocalypse you know at the same time it felt like revelation was happening Um, so I thought that was executed pretty well Mm -hmm. it was still a whole lot of what the hell are we seeing but for the level of chaos that it was doing, I thought it was shot very well. I can tell you on a second viewing, it works a lot better when you, in fact, the whole movie, when you know what to expect, mm-hmm. I really feel you can settle in and, and enjoy and dissect it better without having to be reactionary to it. Um, and that's a question I wanted to ask you mm-hmm. is what do you think about that? Is that a good thing? Because I, for me, it is, but I don't know that. I, do we need movies like this? Paramount has come out, thankfully. Mm-hmm. Paramount is the the studio that that put the money up for up for Darren Aronofsky to make this film, and they've come out and made a very strong statement in support of this. Is what you people ask for all the time. You you all say new original content. Stop giving us the same stuff over and over. Back these filmmakers and let them do something unique, and then. You don't support it and you don't buy tickets, but we're we're standing behind this. And I mean, of course, what else are they going to say? But I'm glad that they at least came out and said it. But that being said, that's a real thing that happens in everyday life with people who go to movies is they complain about there's nothing original. There's nothing new under the sun. Well, Aronofsky just gave it to you. Super fair. And you gave it a cinema score of an F and you won't go see it. So how do we bridge that gap? To get so, both. Uh, like I said before, I, I'm like, I give almost an unfair advantage to movies or unfair credit, extra credit to movies that are original or do something different. If you are the first to do something or if you did something new in a different way, you get bonus points from me because that it is so rare to actually get that. However there's still a line and he still crossed that line. And I think that's where you have this issue. Yes, we got something original, but damn it, we got something a little too extra too. And you have to be able to cross that fine line. It's not the easiest thing to do, but when you are able to do it, you've got gold. 
And I think that's the part that failed. Nobody in the studios, as much as I'm not in favor of studio interference with movies, because I really do like it when directors can do what they need to do, I needed someone to be like, that can't make it. Sorry. We can't put that baby thing in there. You're going to have to find a different way to shoot it. We can't do that. You know, or we can't do the beating up of the woman and this, like... Yeah, you gotta, that's the other you, scene that I think people walked out during. Different. Yeah, I, I, you, know, you yes. can infer it's brutal. Rape, you can infer pedophilia. You can't show it. You know, like you just can't do that. So, and by the way, not to say that those things happen. I was using that as an example, but in terms of your other question about whether we should see it again, I haven't seen it again because I feel like I've relived it in my mind so many times. <laughs> Fair enough. But the only thing I have been curious about, because I was very tempted to go watch it again, but I don't want to succumb my mind to seeing that stuff again, because the imagery is that visceral and it is that impactful. I was more so curious about listening to the dialogue. Mm -hmm. So, for example, when mother was in the room and the, uh, the brother comes back, Kane, he comes back in the room and he says something to the notion of, Oh, so they left you here by yourself, huh? You know, like those little side comments. Yep, those are the things I picked up on. Those -hmm. are the things that if I were to watch this movie again, I would want to go listen to them because every single one of those side comments, that's Aronofsky's direct thoughts. Yep, that's that's where I came away with the whole wanting to dissect it line by line thing is because every single line of dialogue seemed to be meaningful in one to two to three different ways and Absolutely. and it's fascinating and so it's it's really the first and it's really the first two-thirds of the movie because once it hits that that chaos point you know it is it is a different thing a different animal tonally and and it just shifts and it's rocket speed craziness till the end but um yeah i, I I'm I'm really excited for the commentary on this. I, I kid you not. I am boy. I can't wait. I got. I'm gonna have to own it because I want to. I want to hear that commentary track so badly of him walking me through this. I'm praying I get that commentary track because it, it, I there's none I can imagine wanting to hear more than this. Is mm. let him tell me what he thought um, and and kind of hear it from his perspective uh, because it's not it's not moving to me in a way in which I think. I'm not taking something from it as a life lesson. I'm, I'm exploring it and I'm having fun breaking it down. And that's why I find it so fascinating, but I'm not being changed as a person in a positive way or anything. And so his, you know, some movies you don't want the director's commentary because you want to be able to stick with that, that what your interpretation is you want, you need to be able to have that. And if you hear what the director said, I always want. Yeah, I do too. I'm just I'm being fair to people out there. Some people don't. Yeah, so, yeah. but I yeah I do too. I'm I'm excited to hear what he has to say and more of it. Yeah, I I I, I don't know. I mean, like for me, it's you know, if I could have Nolan commentary on any of his films, I'd take it. You know, I need I need uh, Nolan to come sit with me in my living that's room. That's what I'm saying. And, like I will take it. Like yeah. yo. Was was he asleep or not? Like, you need to let me know. About <laughs> what happened to the top? What happened? Man? <laughs> you know, so you know, like those those type of things, I I definitely appreciate because now it makes me look at the movie differently, and I have to ask myself if that's what your vision was. Did you actually execute it properly? Absolutely. That's that's, that's a totally the, fair question. Yeah, as, know, especially so, as a critic. But yeah, right. Of course, you know, and, and that's why I was very excited to listen to his to Aronofsky's uh, Q and A's and his responses to things, and and listen, look at his production note quotes and things of that, like what his process was of doing this film, because. I wanted to know, could you get your message across? And I think he did, but again, it's like trying to retell a dream. You know, like, I I get what you were saying, but it's so mixed up everywhere. That's why it's hard for me to give it that masterpiece label. Label, yeah. Um, Technically, oh my gosh, visuals, awesome. The lack of a soundtrack, great. It added to the ambiance of the entire thing. The, the acting. cinematography, the acting. 
I mean, I, I was more of a fan of the cinematography because the whole time we were with Mother. We saw what Mother saw. We saw, what, you know, where she was. We didn't know what was going on. I thought that was great because we were her. Yeah. You know, when she was like, what the hell? We were saying, what the hell? You know, th- that immersed me into the movie. I love that. That's you get an A in film class, you know. Yeah. But when it came to the actual story, when it came to it was almost like when you just feel so many different things and you have so many different ideas and you can't focus on one of them. You're just like, nope, all of them. Yeah. And that can that can be hit or miss. Yeah. Like you you hit some things will stick, but some things will be missed. And that's the that's the risk you play, you know. Well, I want to wrap up, but I got to ask you one more thing before we do. Do you? There's one element in this film, one symbol that I have not been able to place, and I've even I've read some things online that have a proposition for what it could mean, but I don't really buy them. So, for, do you have an explanation for the yellow liquid that she's? I was hoping, <laughs> I was hoping that you wouldn't ask. <laughs> that was the one thing I was hoping you wouldn't ask me because. That was the one thing he said he would refuse to answer. To answer. Did he seriously say that? He seriously. Oh, someone asked my that at the gosh, Q&A. Darren. It was uh, a. That it means it doesn't Toronto. mean anything. It's just there as a MacGuffin. No, it's a. He says it means something. Oh, that he makes just me. Won't say what it is, and that will drive you crazy. I'm done. Yeah, that makes me angry. I know. Uh, I, I mean, uh, did you have an idea of what? No, it was? the. So online, there's this theory floating around that it has something to do with some book called The Yellow Tree or Yellow House or something, and I I don't know. I, I've read that theory, and I don't really buy it. Um, I, it I've tried to dissect it. it, it you know, it's, it's a drug that she takes that calms her down. It calms her down. But she also... She was dizzy. But she, she also stops taking anything. it when she gets pregnant. So whatever it is either is detrimental to the baby or the way that she looks at it when she throws it out. She's like, I don't need this. It's anymore. like, I don't need this anymore. Like I needed it before I got pregnant, but now I don't have the anxiety is gone because I'm complete or I'm safe or whatever. And oh, I don't well, know. We know man. she represents earth. So I know. what is, what, what drug is earth it feels taking. like it has to be something like that because the oil i mean the the world is destroyed in fire it's not just random it's oil it is oil mm-hmm. that burns um and so everything is so specific and and mm-hmm. has that yeah what does earth need man i mean sun at I don't first know. I was thinking, I don't because know. we don't even know where she got it from it's not like she got it from some drugstore or something like that like she just has this elixir and she medicates herself with it. Gosh, and the sound. It didn't it sound, sound like she was... It's almost metallic. It didn't sound like she was addicted. Oh, no. It didn't look like she was addicted. It was like, no, I need this. It happens when chaos is... In, when losing of control. Like, you know, when others are starting to take over and do things to the house. Um, they're they're going in rooms they're not supposed to. Or they're they're doing things to the house they're not supposed to. That seems to be when she most you know, is affected by it. But yeah, I, I, that's the one thing. So I was hoping you would have some magical no, answer mean, for me. I, I'm sorry, man. Cause it's that, that one elixir was not connected to anyone else. Mm-mm. It's not like her husband gave it to her. It's not like someone recommended it or it. So it's literally its own thing. I wanted to say maybe it had to do with either climate change or toxic waste, but the earth doesn't self-medicate like that. <laughs> I so. hope not. I know. All right. Well, listeners, we'll yeah. use this as the plug here. If anybody, I, I want to hear your theories on the whole movie, but specifically come to the feel and film Facebook group or come to E-Man's movie page. Um, make a comment on, on somewhere that you see this post posted this, this uh, episode on social media and let us know what you think the yellow elixir is because it is the one that's going to haunt me and haunt my days until I get to that commentary and maybe, maybe he'll answer it, but he probably won't because he wants us to just keep. He said he purposely will not answer that, which is some BS. Cause you know, some... he's going to be like 79 years old and that's when he's going to answer it. Yeah. He's on his death. He's like, <laughs> yeah, this is what it was. Right. Mm, 
Yeah. Oh man. Well, did we miss anything? Is there anything we want to hit on I'm before sure we? we... Did. No, we, <laughs> missed a bunch. we missed a bunch. Of course we did. There's there's no way we didn't hit. There was something left uncovered. I mean, yeah, there's there's tons. Well, you have to do a second series. Yeah, like, I know. Like, okay, we saw it for the second or third time. Now, what did you get from it? And I wonder. And I'm tempted to rewatch it just to see if I could figure out the stupid yellow elixir thing. Well, I paid very close attention to it my second viewing, and I didn't. It didn't. Nothing was enough of a hint that it was a specific, you know an obvious answer. But it's the it is definitely the number one thing that I will break down when I get the DVD. I feel like this is going to be one of those things that you have to do ridiculous stalker-ish type of medication or, uh, you know, research to, like, was Rachel Weiss like, on a certain medication or something? Oh, don't even. You know, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, since he's implicating all these personal issues, is this one, like, was she on Xanax or something, and then maybe she got off or, like, I don't know. Do fertility drugs result in some sort of anti-anxiety like they double as an anti-anxiety I, I don't know but the thing is I was thinking about fertility drugs but one there's no reason to take fertility drugs if you're not husband, having sex not I, having know. Sex. <laughs> I know <laughs> so that's not the issue and the fact that it's a, a, you're taking it as a reaction to stress yeah that's something that's like okay What's wrong with Mother Earth, and what could possibly have her take? What could she take that could remedy herself? Mm-hmm. And then later find out that she doesn't need it anymore. And and again, I'm trying to think of: is, is this have to do with climate change? Um, does it have to do with you know nuclear waste or something? I, I really like the angle of Rachel Weisz because I feel like that's. I think, I think, I think a personal, personal. something personal is more likely to be why he would not answer it. Not because he's, not because he's afraid to, but just because it's it's harder for people to get. The people who, like, if Rachel saw it, she would know it was a message to her. Exactly. If, if. That's some Aronofsky, he would do that. Yeah. Oh, I know (laughs) he he would. Like, if, if it was a direct message to somebody personal, they know what it is, and he just gave him a F yeah, you right, right. You know, <laughs> and nobody else needs to know it except for that person. That oh, I could man. Do. Well, listeners, that's your that's your homework. Come come, let yeah. us know what you think. Figure it out for us, so we don't have to go crazy. Please. All right, Emmanuel. This has been a blast. I knew it would be a lot of fun. Um, I don't feel like I'm any closer to understanding the movie, but hey, whatever. Uh, <laughs> so be it. <laughs> That's what this is all about. Yeah. Uh, I hope we've been somewhat entertaining, maybe giving you something else to think about. Like I said, we do want to hear your thoughts and your feedback. Uh, we say that a lot, I know, on our podcast, and Emmanuel does as well on his movie reviews and on his site. But these are the kind of movies that really just they they're better with conversation. So absolutely, come come do that. Engage with us online, and Eman, where can they find you online to do that? You can find me, first of all, just come and find me on Facebook because I'll share everything and everywhere that I'm at on Facebook. Uh, it's just at Emans Reviews. Um, just just look up Emans Movie Reviews if you want to. Like the fan page. Join the 33,000 fans. Yay! That's amazing. Um, and yeah, just come and join. We got movies, trailers, news movie talk you know just whatever and uh yeah you'll find everything because i write everywhere and you'll just find it there yeah highly recommend it especially not to you know pigeonhole you but if you are a blockbuster fan if you're a comic book movie fan e-man is the place to go for that specifically obviously he has uh, a wide variety of tastes he went and saw and reviewed mother he's a horror fan um but he does amazing content and is really the most in the know you're going to get out there when it comes to these blockbuster films. So 
come there for that stuff, especially. Uh, if you want to engage, you're absolutely welcome, man. Uh, if you if you want to engage with me further, you can find me all over the web at Aaron L. White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E, on Twitter, Facebook, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I also am tweeting out of the Feelin' Film Twitter account. And then, as I mentioned, the Facebook group, we always point people toward that because it's a great place to come have conversation. You can find a link in the show notes and on the blog. And that is it for this episode. Email will be back, I'm sure, at some point probably sooner than later and until then keep checking out his stuff keep checking out our stuff stay positive and keep feeling film <laughs>